Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You are listening to the 23 Personnel Podcast, where food and sports clash at the goal line. Here are your hosts, Spencer and Michael. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the 23 Personnel Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer, joined by Michael. Hello, everybody. We have some news. We have news. Just to, just right news. out the gate. Just bringing news to you. It's my favorite uh, sports podcast out there, the Solid Verbal. Breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Ty Hildebrand and uh, Dan Rubenstein. I listened to their Big 12 preview. I did. I did, too. It's pretty solid. Sad I missed out on their live shows, which were this past weekend. They had one in Dallas. Yeah, Richardson. Yeah, the Richardson um, Alamo Draft House. That would have been nice. Tenders with Ty. This one, but afterwards, he had chicken tenders and eat them with Ty, one of the hosts. He doesn't Anyways. call them tendies. No, that's oh. a <laughs> that's a Brian Don Carlos move. <laughs> chicken tendies. Tendies with Ty would would have had a pretty good alliteration to it. But we do have some news. We have news. <laughs> We actually have news. Uh, would you like to? Would you like to break it? You break it. All right, I'll, it, I'll break it, was, it. It's because of you, not me. Well, and we've we've tweeted this. If you guys have followed us, which by the way, you can follow us on Twitter at twenty three personnel or at punt suck and at lsrr zero seven. I'm thinking of changing my Twitter handle. If you guys have any any input on that, let me know. I don't know if I should use my name. If I should use some obscure thing, it just seems like a random set of letters and numbers but i'd say i'd say headset that's kind of taken yeah yeah i don't want to over i don't want to overstay the headset mantra but news we have been invited to be a part of the countdown to kickoff pregame show yep, hosted by rob bro and carson robinson here on talk 1340 here locally news money sports news money sports uh <laughs> they're part of the Town Square Media Group, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of stations here in town. I know KFMX is part of it, and I believe Lone Star mm-hmm. is is part of the media group. And 1025 Kiss, I think that's right as well. And uh, KFYO, mm-hmm. the uh, is it 690? Uh, no, uh, it's 951 on FM. I, I don't listen to them on AM anymore, but they have both. KFYO, yeah, okay. 790, 790 AM, I think. Anyway. We have been invited to be part of the pregame show. Dude, I'm so excited. It's a two-hour show. It starts three hours before kickoff. Yep, of every tech game. And so we will be on the air. There will be a couple of weeks I won't be able to make it. But Slacker. Well, if I'd have known of this, you know, maybe I could have planned around it. <laughs> but this is something we're really excited about. And uh, appreciate the guys out at Town Square. Mr. Mm-hmm. Snyder taking some, taking a chance on us rookies. To podcasters, yeah, noobs, putting us on the radio, yeah, to yeah. join the to join the professionals, to join professionals like Rob Bro and Carson Robinson, yeah. Tucker Lowrance, if he's going to be the producer, hopefully, no joke, because Rob is just a heck of a radio guy, yeah, friend of the show, so, Rob Bro, so good. That's who we've been talking about this whole time. 
His his show airs nine to eleven weekdays. He and Carson on the Rob Bro Show. Yep. Weekdays nine to eleven. You can find them. You can stream them online. They have an app. You can mm-hmm. download the app, which is kind of nice because they'll they'll alert you of some tech news throughout the day that they upload to their website and when the show's on and what they're talking about. So it's so, always good to have. As if you didn't have enough of us already when we go two hours on a podcast, you'll have us <laughs> joining a two-hour pregame show. We will also still maintain our probably our two-episode-per-week football season schedule. Yep. A preview episode on Wednesdays as normal, and then a post-game instant reaction to Saturday evenings. You'll get us on the radio Saturday pregame. Whenever that is. Could be morning. Could be afternoon. Could be early morning. You know, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> it if it's be. three hours before kickoff, I mean, that's a, this would be some 8 a.m. radio There calls. might be some 8 a.m. spots there. We'll make it work. We're, we're good. We, we do know there will be a 6.30 or 6 o'clock start time at least once for the Arizona game. So we'll have to like eat dinner and then go to work. I know. That's going to be interesting. interesting. And then the other part. Other part. Is that... Uh, because we're being asked to do this, and mm. we've also been asked to film the press conferences mm-hmm. for KKAM for Talk 1340, and that includes a press pass. So we will be in the press box for all of the home games. Yes, we will. We'll have, we'll have that access again that I had last season, but I was kind of using my photo pass from work yeah. um, to sit up in the press box. I would just have to find an empty seat if there were any on the press press row, whatever you want to call them. This year, we're going to have seats with our names on them. Yeah, and we're we're totally going to shame all fans that leave early. Oh, for sure. Uh, especially on days where it's 101 or it's 37 with a wind chill of 19. Because that does not matter. <laughs> no, you should stay. I'm, I'm going to sit here in the I press w- box and completely gripe about how empty the stadium is mm-hmm. while I'm wearing my short sleeve t-shirt and drinking bottomless diet Cokes and eating two or three meals <laughs> of the day up there. Yeah, for sure. Right. So I, I think, um, hopefully we'll not, hopefully we're going to remember all we said about that type of stuff. Cause that always drove me nuts. <laughs> Someone from the press box calling people out on leaving the game early. Give me a break guys. Y'all are up there in a controlled environment. You got bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. You got shade. You got AC. You got drinks. You got food. Yep. All right. So this week, not sport news related, but it's move-in week. All the returning and incoming students moving into their dorms, getting ready to start classes at Texas Tech. I think start Thursday. I'm actually not sure. Wednesday. I'm not. I, back in the day, this was many moons ago. Now it seemed like Wednesday was the common thing. Yes, because the Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes were just about half as long as Tuesday, Thursday classes. So it makes sense that you'd get two Wednesday, like two of those Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, and then one Thursday class. It seemed like Wednesday was the common start date. So tomorrow, today, whenever you're listening to this, probably, I guess if you're listening to it on Thursday, it was yesterday. So there you go. You can do some math in the past. So I kind of offhandedly wrote this short Twitter thread about my first week on campus way back in the summer of 2007 graduated high school moved out to tech as a freshman moved into Sneed 220 
I actually found out because of this thread, one of my followers also was a freshman that was on the second floor in Sneed the same time I was. Small oh world. Yeah, Did yeah. not know each other. Well, you do now. Well, now we do. Now you got to make up for lost time. His name's Dustin. You got to talk about that one guy that always played the loud music that was down the hall or there was a whatever. Drug, there was a drug bus in like spring. Oh. That? There was like complete opposite end of the dorm. Like it was a, it was a U-shaped dorm. I was like the okay. northwest corner. It was like this, the northeast. So y'all could reminisce about that. We could. It may have been this guy. Who knows? <laughs> I doubt it. Just kidding. Um, so yeah, I moved out there first week. I moved probably that first day that you could have moved into the dorms. First. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Class day is next Wednesday, by the way. Next Didn't mean to interrupt because I always thought it was the Wednesday before Labor Day because it was so great because you start classes and then you got a three-day weekend. And I feel like it's the same way. It's like the 28th? The 26th. Well, why is moving so early? They get a week and a half before classes start? Oh, wait. It's the 20, the 26th is a Monday. Oh, gosh. Guys, y'all don't. Y'all don't. 29th? No, it's the 26th. First class day, August 26th. It's a Monday. They've okay. changed everything, they Spencer. Did. I didn't I, even interrupt your story, though. I didn't even know where I was. Anyways, I moved in the weekend before classes started. Met my roommate. Um, enjoyed AC. Apparently AC had been installed in the Sneed dorms that summer. Was grateful. You were the, I was the guinea pig. The freshman class of the AC. Mm-hmm. We definitely, uh, left that AC like on 60. We froze out our room. It was glorious. Didn't have to worry about the power bill, right? That wasn't no, uh-uh. the dorm. Did not have to worry about that. We had, um, movable furniture. So unlike most of the dorms on, on the campus where the, like the beds are built into the wall and the desk, whatever we had, furniture we could move we could we did end up stacking our beds we, we bunk bed it it up bunk bedded it up that's strange it's more room for activities it was a lot of room for activities um had some interesting experiences living with somebody for the first time um this dude had a serious girlfriend when he moved out to tech also a student there were some nights i was awoken <laughs> by some activities on the other side of the room <laughs> I'm sure you can guess what those were. Skip bow. Um, also had him seen him throw up from overindulging on some alcohol into our sink and then watching him have to clear the drain. So it'll drain out. It was good times. Um, but more sports related. So I I've mentioned this before. I wasn't really a Texas tech football fan until really late in my senior year in high school before I moved out. And it was more like I was just kind of learning like, what am I getting myself into? Um, first game that season was on the road at SMU. 
quickly got to learn who Graham Harrell and Michael Crabtree were. Mm-hmm. That was a fun game. Um, first home game we hosted UTEP. I don't remember so much about that game. I'm sure I was there. I just don't remember watching it. Um, one of the next home games, it was like parent weekend where we hosted Northwestern State and we put like 80 points up on them. That was fun. My mom's like, what is what is happening? I was like, I don't know, but it's fun. This is fun. This is good. Um, early in that season was the road trip out to Oklahoma State where Lyle Setensich lost his job. Back and forth affair. Crabtree dropped the game-winning touchdown, possible game-winning touchdown in the end zone on fourth down. Broke my heart. Very week, uncharacteristically so, by the way. Three weeks into my, my football fandom. Um, other home games that season were a really fun game versus A&M. Um, you hosted Iowa State. Um, it was in, in my Twitter thread. I'm already forgetting. I know there was uh, Oklahoma. that They came in ranked top 10 um, last game of the season. That was a lot of fun. I, I don't know what else. I, I went with a girl I was interested in, so she got to see me be crazy, and she was like, I don't want anything to do. <laughs> you guys too much, One dude. and done. Um, rush the field. My, my, my one time rushing the field, um, the story I tell from that is I was running past an Oklahoma player uh, and he threw his shoulder into me. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was offensive lineman, but like he got barely glanced me, but like it, it didn't knock me down, but it sent me like reeling because <laughs> he's a big dude and I was not on balance for to get to take that kind of hit. So my freshman year of Texas Tech football was quite a good one. I mean, you went eight and five. Sorry, nine and four that year. You had that the Gator Bowl win versus Virginia. That was a fun year, a fun bowl game to wrap up the fun year. Obviously, two thousand eight was next. Um, I had left school to get ready to go, um, have get ready to how to put this for religious service um, overseas in Germany. So I missed two thousand eight as a student. Oh no. <laughs> I know it was it was terrible. I came back um middle-ish of the 2009 season and that's actually I think my first game back was or is one of the games on my best wins that we're going to talk about later tonight. Oh yeah, that's right. We are going to talk about we've hashed out down. yeah, we've hashed out our honorable mention uh, best wins of the last 10 seasons. And now we're going to narrow it down to our top three. Each of us have three different ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's good. That's really good backstory because I didn't, I didn't know some of that going into why one of yours made the list. So it's, it's, it's not one that I think most people will remember. Probably or, not. Or I have I, picked. I didn't remember it, but, but it was a fun game to come back to. Yeah. I, I could totally see it now. So. And just, just, Touching base real quick for those of y'all who don't know or don't remember, I was a transfer student. So my move-in experience was in Leveland at the dorms at South Plains College. Moved into Lamar dorm. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have as vivid of a experience or anything. It was pretty just pretty laid back. We just moved in. Me and three guys I went to high school with actually shared a dorm room it was one of those that had the bathroom in the middle or the shower in the middle well Mm. no the bathroom and so it was at least people i knew and had grown up with for the most part that's who i shared a dorm with at first 
when my brother came out to tech, he was also a transfer student. Um, he moved into Murray, which I think was newer at the time. It was a four bedroom apartment with like a shared living space and then two bathrooms. Mm, yeah. This was, I think it was during the 2009 season. I, I, I came out like it was after I came home from Germany, I came out and spent a couple weekends with him and went to a couple games. Um, that situation could have been a lot of fun if you went in with like three friends and you had like a, you shared an apartment. These were four guys that had no idea who each other were. Yeah. Did not talk to each other. Like you'd only see them like going to the bathroom. They all stayed in their rooms. The living room was like just off limit. Like nobody went there. It's really strange. No, we had now when I, my second year at South Plains, I stayed in McGee dorm, which was similar to that. There was, um, there was a living area and two bedrooms on one side and then a bathroom in the middle and then a living area and two bedrooms on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I knew I went in knowing like at least two of the guys out of the four. And so that was always easy, but yeah, I don't have any, whenever people, we just had lunch with some of the, with, you know, Kyle and, and uh, Labar recently this week. And when folks talk about the dorms at, on campus, I'm always lost. Cause I was never, <laughs> I was never a part of that. Mm-hmm. By the time I came in as a transfer, I moved to the apartments just across the street from the from the stadium, and so it was just just business as usual. Just walk to class. So I I probably missed out on a lot of a lot of fun stuff, but I'm glad I'm glad a lot of y'all got to experience it because yeah, dorm so life was even even in level in Texas, dorm life was interesting and fun and sometimes frustrating. But you look back on it with mostly. Mostly fond memories. Yeah. My, my second year, I, I moved off campus. Uh, I, I lived in those apartments right behind the Overton. Oh, okay. University yeah. Fountains, I think they're called. Yeah, uh, there was University Square. They're, yeah. they're all named similar. Um, it was a three-bedroom apartment. I shared with two guys I didn't know. But Billy and Kevin, I still know their names. I still follow, we're friends on Facebook. Billy introduced me to like the FIFA World Cup games like on, on, on Xbox. And he he would play out in the living room for, for hours. And when he would score on the game, he'd yell, what a moment. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, he also helped me get into like the World Cup, which was that following summer. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, and then after that year, my brother and I moved in with somebody else that we didn't know to the apartments on... North Quaker, so north of the loop, just outside, like uh, Quaker and Erskine. Jefferson Commons? No. Ashton Point? No. Mm. It was. Oh, I'm not on Quaker. What street am I on? I'm on Frankfurt. Yeah. I'm, I, I forget what they're... What these yeah, are I don't know which ones are on North Quaker, but I think I know what you're talking about. There's like a hotel right across the street from there. Anyways, we lived there for a year. Um, our roommate, Rob, I'm still friends with him, Robert Johnson... Not that Robert Johnson. <laughs> um, he's a cool dude from from Midland. Um, and then after that, at the end of that year, that lease is when Samantha and I got married. So I stayed in that until the very end of the lease, and then we moved in together to some old folks' apartments, like actual apartments, not student apartments. Um, oh, I know what you mean. Canyon West, West Loop, 19th Street. Anyways. Adult apartments. 20 minutes later... <laughs> That was that that you traced it. You traced it all the way. Yeah. Took us on a journey. What a moment. What a moment. <laughs> all right, let's talk about some basketball. 
Okay. I don't have a cool intro for basketball just yet. I'm so sorry. Well, we've still got time. This is this is definitely the off season. So the the team went down to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Had I believe it was a similar experience like the the retreat that they went on last summer, where they they spent time together as a team, bonding. But there was actual competition, televised competition, because um, you saw on Twitter and all the kind of stuff from the team that they were going to the ocean, going to water parks, spending a lot of time together. It looked like they had a lot of fun. These three exhibition games meant nothing. Right. Um, but that middle game was certainly exciting. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of things we could glean from this. Labar wrote a great recap on all three games. I know he watched all three of them using, I think it was Flow Hoops. Mm-hmm. Was what the service that you could subscribe to and watch all three. I think there Which was one of like a thirty dollar subscription fee. I was like, for oh a my month. Gosh, that's three three games. I know, and two of them, uh, yeah, the times were all terrible for me on all of them. But you could watch them on a delay, and I know that he did that for at least one. Yeah, and I think there was a, I think that Frisco tournament for the baseball team was on this same channel. Was it not? I have to. Add. I think it was the one that they had to cancel I'd one say of the games. Call in Keith, but he was actually there. He went yeah, to he purchase was, a subscription. Uh, anyway, the games were televised, like you said. You just kind of had to search search for them. Yeah, so they played the Bahamas national team game one, and then the dumbest professional name I could ever <laughs> probably imagine: Mega Baymax. Yeah, Mega Baymax. They they lost to the Bahama national team, and then they split. Uh, with Mega Baymax, and they and it wasn't even close with the, the Bahamian team. No, well, like, no, it was. A, I think Bahama national team. They they came out to a pretty. Let me see what it was. I remember the lead was pretty heavy at first, so it was thirty seven twenty four at half, and they ended up. Let me see. They ended up losing sixty three to fifty seven. So they closed the gap, but it was just they got out too far ahead. And I think actually they played four quarters, which I didn't realize this. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the third quarter, they were down fifty to thirty eight. So Tech really closed the gap in that fourth quarter. Um, but they did not, you know. Obviously, they they lost that one. But the the next game, I mean, they were much more evenly matched with Mega B Max Baymax. Because they won game two by two points, 94 to 92, and then lost to Mega Baymax 76 to 73. Mm-hmm. But the highlight. Highlight was game two. Highlight was game two by far. Well, except for Chris you, Clark in if, game one. I'm about to say, if you go back to game one, you saw a really solid performance from Chris Clark. And I thought, if you can get this kind of performance, on a semi-regular basis from him, you're going to do so well. He had, what was it, 16 points and 13 rebounds? Yes, he had a double-double. His first time to, to play in a Tech uniform. And then I don't think he played in the other two games, whether he like there was an injury concern or sort or Beard was like, there may be an injury concern, and we have 12 other players we want to evaluate. Let's not push it. I think he played a little bit in game two. And then took then they took him out and then I don't I think he sat for all of game three but and I think that was the same for Davide Moretti too I think he he played all of game one just a few minutes in game two and then missed all of game three yeah and and based off that I mean we'll get to the big story of game two here in a sec but uh, if we want to look at the starting five 
and what it possibly could be. The starting five in game one may be our best And look. it's filthy. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got Moretti, you've got Edwards, Ramsey, Clark, and TJ Holyfield. Which Holyfield, a lot of, you know, I think he's still kind of figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to be a great addition to the team, but he may take a little bit longer to come along than, you know, guys like Clark or Jemias Ramsey because uh, to bury the lead, Jemias Ramsey had 44 points. Yeah, he did. In the second game. Freshman, true freshman, Jemias Ramsey. True freshman, after being on campus for a couple of months, drops 44 points. I think we were going back to... And like 11 or 12 rebounds, too. Yeah, I, I think I asked the guys in the Slack chat, and I can't remember exactly what we said, but I think we were going back to the Bob Bob Knight days. Mm-hmm. It was Mike Singletary in the Big 12 Conference Tournament versus A&M, the last time the players put up 40-plus points. And I think he put up 43. Yeah. And that was... Mike you, Singletary. Right. In like 2007, 2008. Who's practically tech basketball royalty. Yeah. And... That was a very, you know, also, let's point this out too. That was a very meaningful game <laughs> in comparison yes. to this game. Let's go ahead and throw that out there. But end of the season. I think Singletary was either a junior or senior that year. But I don't care. 44 points is 44 points, especially if you're a freshman. And against you're a professional a, team. You're playing against grown men who played college ball in places like Michigan State and Michigan. And I, it was, it was very impressive. And, and one of those things that – you're really happy to see because I think he had, let's see, uh, he was one for five in the in the first game. So it was kind of a dis- disappointing first run, and I don't think anyone expected this to happen, though. No. So here we are, like we've said many times, we're it's August 20th, we're talking about basketball, we're super pumped, and I can't wait for it to get started. Yeah, um, the other thing that I think bears mentioning is Besides Ramsey putting up 44 in game two, I think three other guys were in double figures. I think Edwards had 17, uh, TJ Shannon had 13, and there's somebody else who had 13 points too. Um, and then you got some like really explosive highlight clips from Shannon and Ramsey, uh, obviously from that game. The team looks really athletic. I like, uh, and you say that we, we kind of mocked some some other media members that said that kind of stuff earlier. But this was a really active team and it was just, it was a lot of fun to watch and a little bit we got to see. Um, And you're just like, wow, like this kind of offense, if we have that same kind of stifling defense could put you back into a deep run in March and April. Yeah. I mean, you had guys on a team that you replaced like 80% of your team. You're like you're you're talking in August and non meaningful basketball yet. Understand that. You could be setting yourself up again. You had guys Clark was running the floor. Uh you know, he was he was taking passes. Snow we called them snowbirds back in the day. <laughs> he was taking snowbird passes across the you know, when uh there'd be a turnover or something on the offensive end and he'd take off down the court and they'd they'd feed him the ball and Chech was was doing that. You know, the, the big men were Chewa. Chewa. Big Russ. <sighs> Every time I read it, I don't know how to say it. Chewa was doing that as well. And that's just seeing the big guys run the floor. I don't know. I, I just feel like that's good coaching. That's good. Uh, I, I don't want to make it a stereotype, but that was always a stereotype was 
well, the big guys are, you know, they're they're just not quite as fast and they're not going to run as no. These guys were they were flying up and down the court. Yeah, which is great to see. All right, before we we dive into some Texas Tech football, there was some other football news that when did this happen? This weekend? Football news or basketball? I'm talking about Cedric Benson. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. I don't want to take away from that, but I did want to mention really quickly that Matt Mooney did sign a deal with Memphis before we changed from basketball to mm. football. So that that was good for to see uh, him be able to continue his professional career and uh, get to play some basketball here in the states. But yes, let's let's talk about Cedric Benson for sure. So Cedric Benson was killed. Uh, in a car accident on Saturday, this past Saturday. Um, really unfortunate news because he was, you know, only 36. Played in the, the height of of the Texas Longhorns in their heyday, mid-2000s. Um, he came out in 2005. Sorry, 2001 to 2004. Um, he won the Doak Walker for the nation's top running back. Uh, in 2004, um, drafted number four overall to the Chicago Bears. 2005, I, he was one of, if not the top high school recruit in his class when he came out of Midland. Um, Midland Lee, running yep. back Cedric Benson. He was killed in a car accident on a Saturday. Yep, he was the only, I think up until that point, he was the first high school player ever featured on. Dave Campbell's magazine on the cover. And he had to fill Ricky Williams shoes at Texas. So it's not like he got to kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say take a back seat, but he, he had to jump in and be ready to play because I'm sure the fans and coaches and everybody was expecting, they just had Ricky Williams there. We, we need, we need another running back who's, who's capable. And this was definitely, I was, you know, I was out of high school for a little bit. Benson's time was, I wasn't paying a, as close of attention to college football as I am now. So I, I missed out on some of it, but I also grew up around Abilene and I just, everybody talked about the, the Longhorns and they especially talked about Benson being a local kid, basically, mm. you know, Abilene liked to claim Midland when <laughs> it was advantageous to them. So, uh, he was basically a local kid and that everybody was rooting for and was making a, making big waves in college uh, yeah. football. And really, you know, he, he played, he kind of had some trouble with the bears, but played very well with the Bengals and had quite a, quite a bit of success there. Um, yeah. In his four years at Texas, he rushed 1,112 times for 5,500 yards. If you include his, his receiving yards, he had just over 6,160 receiving or total yards from scrimmage and 67 touchdowns in his career. He was a heck of a player. And I wanted to mention this too. My, my cousin, I actually spoke with him on the phone earlier today. He told me about this foundation that Cedric Benson started. And it's the, I'm sorry, if it's, if it's, if it's an acronym that's pronounced, I'm just going to read it. It's the, oh, it's enough said. That makes sense. <laughs> I've just got it. Sorry, guys. But it stands for uh, Nurturing Underprivileged Families 
cultivating educational development. And it's uh, a uh, foundation that he was very involved in. And I think my cousin actually heard him speak at in the Midland area on behalf of this foundation. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're really just trying to work with kids and help them overcome obstacles, make positive choices. So the, if they're, I don't want to say that there's anything good about this, but he has a good legacy behind Mm -hmm. and he has, he has started something very meaningful with, with this foundation and something that will continue to live on in his name and hopefully impact a lot of families. Yeah, for sure. So it's never easy to, uh, to lose a member like that. Sure. Um, so thoughts and prayers. I, I don't like have a better way of saying that this is not an easy time for his family. No, of course not. Um, or even, you know, the, the Longhorn family, uh, guys he played with in college yeah in in the pros people he knew just just you see a lot of outpouring of positive stories from people all around the internet all around uh twitter even bj simmons had some not not that you would expect him not to but bj simmons had some great things to say about him because he had uh i think they were on the same team or Simmons was trying to make the same team as that Benson was on, I guess the bears mm-hmm. uh, at that time. And Benson really kind of took him in a little bit. And, you know, I think he drove him around some and they just kind of bonded a little bit on being some, some Texas guys trying to make it in the big leagues. And I'm sure there's a ton of other stories like that, but tough, really, really tough to, for everyone affected. And, uh, but he's got a he's got a good legacy behind him that will hopefully live on far beyond any of us. Yeah. All right, let's talk some Texas Tech football. Okay, I'm ready. Welker takes it at the 11. He's going to try to get to the right sideline, breaks the tackle. He's got running room at the 30, the 35-40. He's the midfield, the 45-40. He may go. 25, 10, touchdown, Red Raiders. Davis Webb, the freshman, screen. Underneath that, breaks the tackle still. Up the sideline, turns on the juice, touchdown. O'Hara in the shotgun from the 28. The throw goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. Oh he breaks. Oh, he's going to hurt. Red Raiders. Unbelievable. Touchdown. Red Raiders. Michael Crabtree has done it. Let the scoring begin. All right, let's talk some Texas Tech football. I forget about John Harris just in the oh. background. <laughs> that and uh, and Sonny Cumbie. He's done it. <laughs> oh, that's great. The 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 radio call is just as good as, as the TV call. Just the, uh, uh, <laughs> I think I don't know how I've never noticed that. I guess I've never listened to it that closely. I think if, if that's great, if you pay attention when I play the the first intro again next week, mm-hmm. um, when we do our preview of Montana State, that's right, that's happening next week. Um, 
I think John Harris does something very similar on that play to Robert Johnson. He just can't help it. Where where Brian Jones is like, he's got it. He's got it. And, and he's like, <laughs> it's great. I love it. All right. Fall camp started. We are underway. Um, let's just jump right in. Let's talk about the, the, the depth chart. Okay. All right. You, you, you may have to take the lead on this. One. We're going to take, I'm going to take the lead. Okay. So we've got, uh, a handful of scrimmages under under our belts, the team does at least, so far this fall. Um, one of the most recent media availabilities, Matt Wells said this past Saturday was going to be Evaluation Saturday, followed yeah. by De- Decision Sunday. Yeah. So they're looking to solidify depth chart, who's going to be where, who's going to start where. Um, as they start getting ready to, to begin game prep for Montana state. I don't know if we'll have an official depth chart released. It may be one that we get for the season. I don't know. That should be coming soon. You would think I would, I would kind of expect one from this staff. It seems like they, they're trying to be a little bit more transparent. So maybe we'll get one, but who knows? So Don Williams kind of put together, um, his projected depth chart based on things that he has seen in practice, um, questions answered from the staff. Not really any any surprises on offense, but we're going to run through um, the starters, at least. Quarterback Alan Bowman, uh, running back Tejon Henry or Sir Roderick Thompson, or Armand Shine. I would expect that to be Tejon Henry. Right. X receiver, so out far left, uh, R.J. Turner. The transfer from ULM or UL, yeah, ULM, um, backed up by Eric Ezukanma. Z receiver far right, far outside right, TJ Vasher, backed up by Keyshawn Carter. H receiver, so this is your small inside receiver, McLean Mannix or Dalton Rigdon, or Xavier White, who's been making a name for himself. He's a local guy that went Juco this past year, full qualifier transferred into Texas Tech as a walk-on he could get some time there yeah um tight end the other inside receiver uh Dante Thompson um left tackle Terrence Steele left guard Madison Akamnanu or Weston Wright center Dawson Deaton right guard Jack Anderson right tackle Travis Bruffy you have any things that pop out concern you I, I think the, the main thing that popped out, I don't, they, they have uh, Ezekama listed as a freshman still. Is that correct? Did he, uh, he did re- he redshirt after mm-hmm. playing a few games last year? Yeah, he I think he played in fewer games than Sir Roderick Thompson did. Okay. I, I kind of find it interesting that you know, we've got a, of course he's a senior, so I guess that makes sense, but we have a transfer that's starting wide receiver on the left. Uh, and that Royals is kind of, further down the depth chart than what I was hoping to see. I was hoping to see a little bit more development from him and, and maybe that will happen as the year goes on, but he's listed fourth right now as the Z receiver position. And this uh, is a projection from Don Williams. We don't have anything. Yeah, special. of course we're just, I mean, he's, but he's had also, as much eyes, his eyes have been on it as much as anybody else's. And it's also something I, I mentioned when I, I wrote the, the part two of my defensive preview for Keith Patterson, this depth chart, didn't like I don't I didn't see anything out there that I disagreed with. Yeah, I, I like Sark Font said he copied me because we basically have the same guys across the board as one two. Um, 
Speaking of defense, let's look over there for a second. So remember, you're going to be running a new defensive scheme, three down linemen. You're going to have a defensive end, nose tackle, defensive end. Then you'll have two middle linebackers. And then your outside linebackers, you'll have one that'll be a hybrid defensive end linebacker, like a a rush specialist. Is that which is that Raider? That'll be the Raider. Okay. And then you've got the other outside linebacker who'll be more of a linebacker safety mix, and that'll be called the Spur. And then you've got the two corners, two safeties. The thing that is still kind of up in the air is I'm not sure what the safeties responsibilities are. Um, Keith Batterson has said that they are positionless at safety. I don't know if that means they'll just run like a right safety, left safety. Um, if they just run two cover guys out there and they'll just fill the run when they, when they, when it's there, I'm not sure. But here's what we've got so far. Defense front to back. On one side of the defensive line, the defensive end, Eli Howard, Nelson and Banasor, Noah Jones, which I guess I'm going to go through all these names because it's more interesting than the <laughs> offensive depth chart. Nose guard, Nick McCann, Jalen Hutchings, Houston Miller. Other defensive end, Broderick Washington, Quentin Yant, Tony Bradford. So in my in my first article of the defensive preview, I was talking about your defensive ends are going to be like your like your SEC strong side defensive end body types. They're going to be bigger guys, um, kind of that tweener between like a defensive tackle and defensive end. Um, so it, it's kind of surprising to see Broderick Washington listed as a defensive end because he's like 6'2", 300 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as a defensive end that for these responsibilities will actually be really successful, I think. Um, it, it's, it's kind of exciting. Your Raider linebacker, like I said, this is going to be your, your rush end, the guy that's going to be creating all the havoc, the pressure. Um, they're looking at Xavier Benson and Tyreek Matthews. Uh, your two inside linebackers, your starters, starters are looking like Jordan Brooks and Rico Jeffers. Um, Braden Stringer would back up Jordan Brooks. Kosi Eldridge, that Juco transfer, would back up Rico Jeffers. Spur linebacker, that safety linebacker hybrid, Evan Rambo, and I think he's perfect for this position. I think he played both linebacker and safety at Cal. He's he's a bigger dude, 6'4", 6'5", 220, 230. Um, just got a great body for that. And then a, a guy that's been on campus for a couple of years, Quincy Addison, will be backing him up. <clears throat> Corners, um, your... Starters are probably going to, it's going to come from a, a group of these four guys, DeMarcus Fields, Desmond Smith, Penn State transfer, Zach McPherson, or John Davis. Then your safeties are going to be Adrian Fry, Douglas Coleman, and those guys backing them up would be like Adam Beck, Dadrian Taylor, and Thomas Leggett. What are your thoughts on Fry being moved to safety? So... That was one of the questions I had. He and Douglas Coleman, um, and it's yeah, Coleman too, because they were both they were both corners last year. It's something I mentioned, and I can't remember if it's part one or part two. It doesn't really matter. Your defensive back roster is almost entirely corners. Like you, you don't have any like safety bodies except for like Evan Rambo, and even then he's like, it's kind of too big for a safety. Um, you don't have those like six two two twenty guys. 
in your defensive backfield. You've got a bunch of six one, six foot, bigger corners, but not quite safety guys. Um, and Douglas Coleman, Adrian Fry were some of your better cover corners last year. But Keith Patterson said that the safeties are going to be your cover guys. They're going to be running around um, helping the corners apply pressure. We've seen and heard him talk about the corners being super aggressive. Okay, so they And may, if they get beat, you need the cover safeties behind them. They may get out of position to try to make a play, and then they need somebody to bail them out a little bit. That's kind of where By I was, design. That's kind of where I was going. So it's it may be a little strange to see like your better corners from last year being moved to safety, but I think based on the scheme and how Patterson uses his corners, you may want some of your better corner guy, your better cover guys helping support the corners if they get beat. Because you wouldn't want your best cover guys being aggressive and messing up and then having subpar cover guys backing yeah. them up. Yeah, you want someone who still was would be able to deflect a pass or... At least that's how it works out in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's that's probably how Patterson intended it as well. That's an interesting scheme. I'm, it's, still, it's still sitting with me that Tech will not have defensive tackles. They'll just have they'll have defensive ends kind of playing the role of a defensive tackle. Yeah, and so then the two hybrid linebacker. Th- I've just I'm gonna have to see it, and I should probably watch. I could watch some Utah State footage and probably mm-hmm. get a better grasp, like you did. But I think seeing it will try to make it. It'll make it come together a little bit better. I've, you, you know me. I'm not a super knowledgeable X's and O's guy, but and it, it won't be all that much different from Iowa State or Texas in the past few years. Which has been quite successful, especially the former. They've, they've both been pretty good. Um, now, they rolled with like their dime package, which is uh, usually reserved for passing downs where you're trying to get a bunch of cover corners out on the field to help you um, defend like a standard passing down, like second long or third and long. Okay. Um, their dime package was almost like their base defense. They were in like a 3-2-6, so three defensive linemen, two linebackers, and then six defensive backs. Um, the scheme, I think, that that we're going to see Patterson run is the five guys up front, the, the three defensive linemen, the two middle linebackers, are going to basically clog the middle of the offensive line and try to force everything wide, which then means your six fast cover guys – are going to be converging on the ball to make tackles in space or rallying to the ball. So it kind of makes sense that you'd have six fast guys instead of just putting more bigger bodies out there. Yeah. Um, We may see Patterson kind of move that way since he was defending not such a pass-heavy conference at Utah State. We may see him kind of shift more into a 3-2-6 um, have a, you know, pull like an Eli Howard or Broderick Washington off the field and then move um, your Raider linebacker into that defensive end position. So you, you have like two defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and then bring in more of those corners we talked about that were that your roster's kind of chocked full of. And then just push all the runs out wide and then just 
rally to the ball and make good tackles in space. Yeah, because like you said, with with this type of competition, you see you see five guys in front of you, and you think, oh well, we probably shouldn't run it, but we're definitely not scared of passing it. So you're, you're not going to worry about it quite as much as maybe some other. It may not be as as big of a deterrent, but if it's effective, so what? I mean, if it's if it's does does what it's designed to do, and then you've got these fast guys who are able to make plays on the outside or or uh, dropping in in midfield. I don't think anybody's going to really care, obviously, but I just need to see it. I need to see it in person, and I should probably try to look up some footage and get some get a better grasp on what what they're going to try to do. Who knows? It may be completely different. What if he completely changes it, Spencer, and everything, everything we thought was going to happen, is not going to happen? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Sorry, I was so also reading. Um, we're looking at the the update from was it today? Yes, today about some injury updates and kickers or special teams. Right. Yeah, Matt Wells was pretty. He didn't mince words. A couple, uh, I think it was last week when they asked mm-hmm. him about the kicking game, and he said something along the lines of, "I don't have, I, I won't talk about it until there's something to talk about." And I hope that they read that. <laughs> yeah. So the kickers, uh, Jonathan Garibay, Trey Wolf, Gabriel Lozano. Um, he said they performed well. They're 17 of 18, nine of line live. Um, the kicking battle is still going on. Uh, some injury news, Gilbert. Abiname, uh, he and Cameron Cantrell will both be out for the season. Um, Terrence oh, Steele, man. he's still working back a little bit. Uh, same with Dawson Deaton, Jack Anderson, since they didn't play any in the spring. They, they're they only just now, you know, 15 practices in, whereas that they would have had that at the end of spring ball. Um, West and Wright and Madison Akamnanu are still battling for that left guard position. Um, and then your 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 returners. Um, your punt returners are going to be from the group. I would expect Adrian Fry, but the list of Adrian Fry, Zach McPherson, Chucks, Nwabuko. Um, and then your kickoff returners, Doug Coleman, Tejon Henry, Keyshawn Carter, Dadrian Taylor. I don't know who I like best. Except for that one time I probably read somewhere that Zach McPherson was a returner at some point in his career. It's like, let's use him. Yeah, let's try that. <laughs> um, I'm I'm okay with any of those guys. I, I remember when um this was probably like early two thousands when like your punt returners were like your really good corners and defensive backs. I was like, Oh, that's always fun to have like a defensive guy be back there. Yeah, get to have gets to have the ball and put some moves on somebody. I mean, Jamar Wall was your primary kickoff returner into two thousand eight. Yep. Um and then from there is when you started going to like your your running backs, you had Eric Stevens, Ben McCroy. Um, Harrison Jeffers. You've never really used like a wide receiver out there, except for punt returner when you put Zuzalik out there. Uh, and then Alex Torres. They've almost always been. Alex Torres returned punts? And or kicks, yeah. Oh, I'm not questioning you. I just somehow. Like 2011. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I just didn't. Um, Bradley Marquez. Didn't remember that. Yeah, Marquez. Um, Grant, of course. Reginald Davis. So, I'm I'm interested to see. For some reason, I like the idea of a defensive back back there, 
and you've got primarily, or I would say half of these guys are defensive backs. Um, Adrian Fry, Zach McPherson, Doug Coleman, and Dadrian Taylor. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't want to talk NFL preseason because I haven't watched any. And I haven't watched any either. It's only been like two weeks. We're also 50 minutes in. We haven't talked about our top games yet. So. All right. We're going to skip that. We're going to go to our top three wins. <laughs> Sorry, uh, we're executive decision. We're cutting that. We're gonna truck right through that. Did did you want to go first? Oh, I'm definitely gonna go first. All right, you go first with your number three. Okay, so I, I mentioned this. This was the first game that I got to watch live back after I returned from Germany. This is in the 2009 season. I don't think it would have ended up on a lot of people's list. Your opponent was not very good at the time. Was not very good that year. Um, you were pretty good, but this wasn't like a stellar. This is not like make or break your season. Um, but it's early on in October. You hosted the Kansas State Wildcats. You put a good old-fashioned butt whooping on them, 66-14. to 14. You saw the emergence of Stephen Sheffield. I think this was one of the first games he came out and played a lot. Like He started the game. Um, you were up 38-0 at the half, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Um, Kansas State scored two touchdowns, one in the third, one in the fourth. Excuse me. My goodness. Um, Stephen Sheffield went 33 of 41 for 490 yards, so 12 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns, one interception. His QBR on a scale to 100 was 96.2. On the flip side, now granted this was not like the Kansas State offense did not run through their quarterback, their Quarterback Carson Kaufman, QBR of 23. Ooh. His backup, Grant Gregory, QBR of 7. This this is what's fantastic about this is despite being down, you know, 38 to nothing at halftime, Kansas State still only attempted 24 passes. 24 passes, 28 rushes. So they didn't they really did not like move within the They didn't of have muscle. much going on. <laughs> um I was mentioning this with Michael. I, I I'm pretty sure this was this game was played in either the rain or it was drizzle or it was foggy. It seemed like it was just a really strange, like almost like a high school game. The stadium was fairly sparse. They had some kind of promotion with like pink shirts um, that night. I'm surprised how much you remember about this one, dude. I, I well, just, I mean, you know, welcome back. Yeah. Hey. Oh, what a moment. <laughs> what a, what a moment. <laughs> Um, cause I, I think the previous week or th- this was a season that you played Texas like super early in the season, like game two or three yeah. Taylor Potts gets blasted ear hole from Sergio Kendall right in front of the referee. He's like, that was a clean hit, bro. Yeah. It, it's, we've seen the replay now. It is the definition of targeting. Yeah. There is no way that would at, not be called the, targeting at now. the very least roughing the passer. So yeah, anything. I mean, obviously gone. there was no targeting penalty then, yeah. but it was clearly a foul of some sort. <laughs> so your starting quarterback for at least going into the season, Taylor Potts, unavailable. You start Stephen Sheffield, um, and then he lights it up. He takes takes advantage of that moment. Um, you run the ball 26 times for 185 yards. You averaged greater than seven yards a carry. Um, plus your 12 yards per attempt throwing the ball. Uh, you finished the day with 768 yards. 
768 yards, if I'm doing that math correctly. That's quite a bit of 48. yards. 748 to Kansas State's 315. Anyways, it, it was it was a lot of fun to watch that game. Um, if you can find some highlights of it, it, it's kind of fun to watch. Your 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 receivers that from that game, uh, Detron Lewis eight catches, one hundred yards. Jacoby Franks three catches, ninety nine yards. Tremaine Swindle five catches, ninety seven yards. You had three guys almost hit a. Well, you had one guy hit one hundred yards. Two more guys that were less than three yards off from also having 100-yard days. Practically had three 100-yard <laughs> receivers. Yep. Lyle Leon was in that group. Harrison Jeffers, Edward Britton, Austin Zuzalik, Alex Torres, Eric Stevens, Baron Batch, Adam James, also on the list of receivers that caught a pass that, that night. Um, well, and Daigie even played at least one series or two. Yep. He threw – he completed eight passes – Rushed the ball twice for negative nine yards. So your your seven point one yards per carry was actually hampered by Daigie. <laughs> your yeah. Anyways, uh, Daigie also threw a touchdown. So he went six for eight, sixty four yards and a touchdown. Sheffield, I, through the recap, you can uh, it mentions this that Sheffield had three hundred and seventy yards by halftime, which is a uh, a first half yardage record besting the 367 yards thrown by B.J. Simmons against Mississippi in 03. I don't know if that record still stands or not, but that's pretty good company, especially on your first start. Tech, for some reason, the last several years, it seems like Tech has had a couple of guys have a very, very good first game. And then, they, you know, some of them live up to it beyond that, and some of them don't, and sometimes it has nothing to do with who's behind the center. Uh, but I know, I mean, Mayfield's obviously is probably the biggest one beyond this of who's this kid playing mm-hmm. in against SMU. But, yeah, Sticks, this, this – Sticks. Sticks definitely caused uh, – he came out during this game, and then uh, quarterback controversy was – Was born Was born. Night. <laughs> And if you're ready, I can I can go into mine because it's the perfect segue. Oh, I'm ready. I, I'm going to slack you th- this highlight video just so you can watch this later. Okay, okay. So as the perfect segue, my number three game was, I believe, the next week. The very next game. <laughs> Which was when Tech went up to Lincoln, Nebraska, last time they would ever play them in the Big 12. And... Let's see. They ended up, gosh, I don't even have it pulled. I don't even have the score pulled up. I thought I had it in there. But they ended up. Like 21 to 10 or something? Yeah, they 31, 31 to 10. 10. They demolished them at home. And they and went. This was, this was a ranked Nebraska team. Number 15 in the country. That didn't lose much at home. No. And the uh, they had, let's see. They were 4-1. Four four and one. They had lost a one-point game at Virginia Tech, and, and Virginia Tech was ranked number 13 when they played them there. And they had just handed out the black shirts to the defense the day before. Whoops. And I'm going to butcher the first name, but Ndamukong Sue. Ndamukong Sue. Ndamukong Sue was on that team, and somehow, I remember the whole time watching this game, 
I was super worried about about our boy, about our new golden boy, about Sticks. But somehow our offensive line just played their tails off. And well, Sue was almost a non-factor in that game. Sticks also broke his foot in this game. Also true. I think from a tackle from Sue. It was one of the few times that he really got to him. But then he continued to play on it. Yeah, but this is where... Potts was able to kind of work himself back in because Sheffield ended up getting hurt. Right. But Potts didn't play that day. No. The only person that played that day was Sheffield. He didn't have the greatest QBR. You know, he was 23 for 32, 276 yards, one touchdown, nothing super fancy. But Tech's defense just took over the game. Uh, They actually scored on a fumbleception. Mm -hmm. Daniel Howard returned it like 85 yards. Yeah. And they could not – Nebraska couldn't get anything going. I mean, their – Their first points came on a field goal with less than two minutes to go in the half. Right. It was 21-3. to three. And then they didn't – and then they missed a field goal later on, and they didn't score again until the fourth quarter. With, or maybe it was the third quarter. Either way, here is their drive summary, just because I wanted to read it. Nebraska's drive summary that day was punt, fumble touchdown. <laughs> punt, punt – Field goal, punt, punt, missed field goal, turnover on downs, passing touchdown, interception. So the defense just pounded them. The day after they got the black shirts handed to their defense, uh, Tech came into town. And, you know, Tech had lost. They'd done pretty well that year, but they had lost to, let's see, the one that you'd mentioned earlier, number two, Texas, which was Mm -hmm. kind of expected. They lost that heartbreaker, number 17, Houston, the the cramp game where everybody was cramping up. and The bad time management. Yeah, and, you know, Leach could have kicked a field goal on the one-yard line but went for it and didn't, and then Case Keenum drove 99 yards <laughs> on us. Anyway, the you know, this this put Tech at 4-2 and two coming into this game, so now you're 5-2, and two, you just beat – Nebraska on the road, you're feeling pretty darn good about yourself, and it was the last time you were going to play them. That was just a huge win to me, especially in that environment and against this team that didn't like to acknowledge Tech, but also had to because we put 70 on them a few years before that. And of course, Nebraska, I think, returned the favor at some point. <laughs> but uh, just just a good rivalry that was uh, – with the good old Big 12 North, you get them every every other couple of years and do the home and home series on that. But that that definitely made my top three just because it was mm-hmm. it was completely unexpected. I was blindsided and everybody was in love with what Sheffield was able to do the week before and was kind of wondering if he could do it again. And he didn't play as well, but he didn't need to that day. Yeah. So this was the so you beat Nebraska on the road, who's ranked 15th. You climb into the polls the following week to 21st. You host A&M. You lose a fat little girlfriend's game. Yeah. <laughs> Which so, was one of our honorable mentions, I believe. Was. Honorable mention losses. So I came into Lubbock for this game, and I ended up staying the whole week and then went to the next game which was versus Kansas. So you lose that, that next game after Nebraska to Kansas, or sorry, to Texas A&M, 30 to 52. You host Kansas. You beat them 42-21. You double them up. Um, this was the game. I think the last time you played a Mangino Kansas team 
I remember Jamar Wall just destroyed their running back Jake Sharp, like just picked him up and threw him down. It was it was <laughs> it was fun to watch from the stands. Um, that 2009 season was, was a lot of fun. You went on the road after that at Oklahoma State where you played Zach Robinson and Des Bryant. Um, you lost that game 24-17, but you had a chance there at the end. You forced a fumble where I think it was Jamar Wall hit Zach Robinson, the quarterback for Oklahoma State, and they both concussed. I think I think uh, Jamar Wall got knocked out. His arms like locked out to the side on the oh, turf. Wow. Uh, Brandon Sharp recovered the, the, the fumble. And you're like, We've got a chance. We, we stopped them going into the end zone. And anyways, you end up losing that game by a touchdown. You come home to host Oklahoma, and that was a fun win. That next, I hope it's not on our list. I don't think it is. No, I don't think that one. Okay, good. So I can talk about it. Uh, you, you come out, you come come back and host Oklahoma, and then you beat them bad. You beat them forty-one to thirteen at home. I think this was the Nick game when, when they when uh, Leach put Nick on Taylor Potts's jersey. That sounds right. Um. Then you go into Arlington to play Baylor. You beat them. So you get to eight and four there, and then you host Michigan State in the bowl game, and you win that game. So, besides the drama and losing to Houston, like that was a that was a pretty fun season. Like, right, especially looking back, it was one of those during yeah, that time hindsight. You, yeah, you felt disappointed because you really thought, man, we should have had we should have had ten wins, or you know, if things would have gone slightly different against Oklahoma State, we gosh, who knows? Who knows what could have happened had Potts not getting not gotten concussed in Austin. Yeah, or if you, they would have called it. You, you lost that game. Oh, you lost it pretty good, I think. But I think it, it got 10. out of hand after 10. that. Okay. But they just during that you didn't feel I didn't feel quite as we had just come off the 11 win season and I think everybody was a little hoping to recapture some of that magic. So I don't you win 9 games that year. Yeah, so. I know and you haven't you haven't, <laughs> you haven't you've won 8 sense. twice since then. And that's, those are eight wins with a bowl win. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, this was nine wins, including a bowl win. Including the bowl. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to fast forward a couple of years. 2012, this was TCU's first year in the conference. You've heard about how good they were on defense. Um, you're making your first trip out to go play them. And not only is it like a fun back-and-forth game, it goes to three overtimes. Yeah. They're breaking out the rule like, oh, in the second overtime, you got to go for two. Um, this was Tuberville's first year, Neil Brown's first year. Um, I remember the, the offensive, the, sorry, the, the commentary was talking about um, Neil Brown kept pulling out plays from the Wildcat formation, and they were mostly unsuccessful except for the second overtime where you scored on the very first play where it was like a the snap went to Stevens. Stevens handed the ball off to Daggy, who threw it to Jakeen Grant, um, who's wide open. He just like waltzed into the end zone. <clears throat> Waltzes. Um you win this game fifty six to fifty three. This was a just a really entertaining game on a against a team that you kind of started a rivalry with that they kind of took A&M's spot on, you know, on your schedule where um, they were fairly close in competition. They're an in-state team. Um, you hated them. I mean, I wouldn't say as much as A&M. And it, I don't even say, I don't think you could even say that like 
you hate them as much as you hate A&M. But they were they are a fun team to hate. Sure, um, yeah. They've gotten their licks back at you uh, a couple times. The series is, I, I think, when I we think went, it's even. Yeah, or, or we close. we might have, we might be one game ahead in the. I think we're five and four against them, or something like that. It it's very close, and that's what makes it such a good series, is because you have outside of like eighty two to twenty seven. Most of the games, I think, have been pretty close. Yeah. So and. And this was definitely one of those times when you go to triple overtime, it doesn't get much closer. Now it's, it's going to sound weird. Me saying that like the TCU defense was really good having given up 56 points, but granted you, you realize that three of those touchdowns came from within 25 yards. Yeah. Yeah. You had less than 400 total yards on the day <laughs> and you put up 56 points. It doesn't make any sense. Like I said, 20 of those points, uh, you went into the overtime tied at 36 which is a really strange number to get to. And in football, you scored 7, 14, 0, 15 in terms of your points per quarter. Yeah, it's 36. Sorry, I couldn't do math real quick. Um, Seth Deggy, 30 of 42 for 318 yards for seven touchdowns. Um, Darren Moore and Eric Ward were just like, his favorite targets. Darren Moore was the Dylan Cantrell, like offensive pass interference could be called in basically every catch. Um, <laughs> Cause he was so big and so physical. Eric Ward caught everything thrown his way. Oh gosh. He, he had behind three, him, ahead had, of him, mm-hmm. around him, over him. Three touchdowns in this game. Darren Moore had one. Alex Torres had two, including the game winner. Um, Cause in the third overtime TCU has the ball first, you hold them to a field goal you drive down and then score a touchdown to win by three. It's always fun to walk off, you know, in, in football, but you did it on the road too. That's always fun. Um, and I, I just, I, I can't even, I, I can't accurately describe like the anxiety of the back and forthness of this game. Like it was intense the entire way. Yes. And it ended up going four and a half hours with, with the three overtimes the the end the the sigh of relief afterwards was like it was great <laughs> it was a great sigh of relief. it felt good yeah that that one was I vividly remember watching that one and and thinking hey you know uh, Tech can still score because that was something that you were always that you were worried about with Tupperville coming in and everything and I, I know that this was this was his second year and we'd seen sixty six to three and whatnot but this was one of those times where you were just really glad to see the ball move as much as they were. And I think they were getting, you know, like you said, they had the wildcat, which didn't work (laughs) for the most part, but they were getting creative and trying to do some, some different things offensively. And you had some really good weapons too. Are you ready for my number two game? I'm so ready. Okay. Almost heaven. (laughs) (laughs) In 2012, West Virginia, the Mountaineers' first trip to Lubbock, and it was a bit windy that day. It was a little windy. It was a, it was a very sunny day, and it was windy. Uh, West Virginia had let's see, they came in undefeated. They were ranked number eight the week before, until they took down number eleven Texas 
In Austin. In Austin, 48 to 45. I think they were averaging 50-something points a game because up till this point. They had Geno Smith, um, yep, Bailey, Stedman Bailey as a receiver and the other receiver. Oh, my gosh. What was his name? He was so, so good as a receiver. And then, like, last game of the year. Tavon Austin. Tavon yeah. Austin. Last game of the year, uh, Dana Holgerson moves him to running back versus Oklahoma. And that's when he runs for like 400 yards versus Oklahoma. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure glad he didn't think about this earlier. I know this was very, this was very uh, advantageous for us, but you know, the reason it made my list was because it was, as you can see, I kind of take more significance into the first time we play somebody or the last time we play somebody. So the first time we play West Virginia in Lubbock, they show up, they're a top five team, they're undefeated. And we beat them forty-nine to fourteen. Mm-hmm. And that last touchdown for them came late, way, way late. Yeah, the, the, I think I I had that written down somewhere. Their last touchdown, which was only their second touchdown, didn't come until there was two forty-one left in the game. Mm-hmm. So it was basically forty-nine to seven for the the vast majority of this game. And Tech just came out. Deggy was firing. He was all over the place. He had 499 yards passing. He averaged 12 yards per attempt. He had six touchdowns, a QBR of 91.4. Uh, he hit, let me see, how many receivers did he have? I think 11. <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Might as well count out loud. Y'all can hear me anyway. Including uh, nine receptions by Darren Moore for 92 yards. Five receptions by Jason Marrow for... <laughs> 156 yards. That's 31.2 per catch. He had one touchdown. Moore, who I just mentioned, had three. Uh, Marcus Kennard had one. TD. Eric Ward had one. And if for those of you keeping score at home, yeah, that adds up to six TDs from our boy, Seth Daigie. There was another one scored. Sadale Foster put one in the end zone on a rushing touchdown. And they just couldn't be stopped. The the offense just could not be stopped. I, and I know that West Virginia had just a really terrible pass pass defense that year. And Tech exposed the absolute heck out of it. 508 passing yards. Yes. Because Brewer day, played, too. <laughs> on a day where, where Dana Holgerson said that Geno Smith couldn't throw in the wind, Seth Daigie, Michael Brewer threw for 508 yards. Yes. And to... And, to Smith's 278. Right. They Tech only allowed 278 yards passing. 130 on the ground. Yeah, 30 of 56 was was <laughs> Geno Smith's Not attempt. terrible. I also remember Dana Holgerson was super aggressive on fourth down. I think he went for it like three or four times and missed every single time. No, he went uh, – I actually looked that up. Okay. He was two for seven on fourth down. <laughs> two for seven. After going for it – I think I think he was a hundred percent the week before in Austin. I think he went for it three or four times and got it every single time, and so that probably kind of fed fed it into thinking that well His he can ego. do that in Lubbock. Yeah. Uh, the the reason you know th- this game was just huge because Tech was four and one at the time. After beating West Virginia, they were five and one. Um, they had a 41-20 loss the week before this game against number 17 OU. It was at home, unfortunately. But it just that's kind of what I always like to point out. 
why this game felt so good is because all of a sudden you're five and one. Your only loss is to a ranked team. Granted, it was a home loss, and granted, they beat you pretty good. But at this moment, you felt really good. At this snapshot in time, you thought, man, we we really could do something. We could do something this year. We could disrupt some stuff. We could maybe make a run for the Big 12 title. You never know. Of course, that's not what happened. But at that moment, it felt good. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, which was also an unhappy ending to this, was this was Amaro's last game. Amaro had five receptions that day, like we discussed earlier, 156 yards. He really played well. Uh, they could not cover him. They couldn't tackle him. They couldn't stop the man. But he suffered a spleen laceration during this game, mm, had right. internal bleeding, had all that stuff going on. He actually came back and played a couple of series. I think he even caught a few passes after the injury, but then ultimately uh, left the game for good, and then he was done for the rest of the year. So a lot of people kind of point to that as a turning point of the season, too. Things started to fall apart a little bit after that because well, he was our top guy. But, I mean, I don't think that was all that happened. But that was an, the, the bad part of this game. Sure. So the, the TCU game that I just talked about was the very next week. Mm. So it's twice we've, we've picked games that were back-to-back. You're um, feeling pretty good. You're kind of yeah, so high there, you know. October 13th, you host uh, West Virginia. You beat them 49-14. October 20th, you go to Fort Worth. You beat TCU 56-53. October 27th, you go up to a loaded Kansas State team that had Colin Klein and all the, like, just, what do they call him? Optimus Klein. <laughs> Um, and they beat you pretty bad, fifty-five twenty-four. But like, you had two weeks back to back where you're like, "Oh man, we're we're doing really well." Um, yeah. See, felt good. <laughs> it did. It did. Those were time. good times. I remember. I remember that time. That stretch. All right. Now our last two games are not back to back weeks. You have one from a completely different year. My last best win or my number one win um, comes in 2015. Last game of the season on the road in Austin. You take down the Longhorns 48-45. to 45. Your first win in like 800 years against the Longhorns. That's accurate. At Daryl Royal Stadium. Um, and you do it with like a Patrick Mahomes and DeAndre Washington-led team. Um, now great. You beat a four and six Texas team. Like it's not like, let's not act like this was a fantastic undertaking, but, and it was a close game. I mean, it was, it came down to the very end of the game. This is one of those defenses that like literally could not stop any running back with a heart, a heartbeat. The team total team through 23 times. Texas did. They (laughs) rushed the ball 48 times. So they had 64 passing yards on the day. 64, that's it. But they had 400 yards on the ground. Led by Chris Warren, 25 carries for 276 yards, including a 91-yard touchdown. I think I remember that one. It's hard to forget. That one really hurt. 91 yards, it's hard to forget. Uh... Tyrone Swoops, 
the 18 wheeler, 15 carries, 98 yards, two touchdowns. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention Chris Warren had four touchdowns. They had six rushing touchdowns on the day. This is like the Arkansas game from the year before. Yeah, it, it really is. It was a slog. Uh, even though Patrick Mahomes was, was your starting quarterback, he was 22 of 39, one touchdown, one interception. DeAndre Washington, though, 28 carries. So he had more carries than, than Chris Warren did. You rushed more times than Texas did. I, I, I pointed out that, that Texas rushed 48 times. Texas Tech rushed 51 times. You ran... What is that? You 90 plays on the day. 51 were rushing. Um, DeAndre Washington carried it 28 times for 173 yards, two touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes carried it 16 times for 70 yards and a touchdown. Jakeen Grant carried it twice for 42 yards and a touchdown. One of those was the little people, big world trick play. Beautiful. It was, it was awesome. Justin Stockton, Three carries, 13 yards, and a touchdown. You had five rushing touchdowns on the day. Um, Your previous win in Austin was in 1997. It had been a hot minute. It had been a while. And then apparently, I mean, uh, you know, then you before that you won in 93. Before that you won in 89. But then like before that, four years. it was 1967. And then before that, it was 1955. So this hadn't happened much. No. And it hadn't happened in almost 20 years when uh, Kingsbury was able to do it. Um, another another highlight play from this was Patrick Mahomes threw a, a deep pass down the sideline to Devin Lauderdale. Just airballed it, airmailed it. Um, an easy pick for the defense. Lauderdale just destroyed the defensive back. <laughs> Ball pops up in the air. Jakeen Grant, like it was just meant to be, like, like, like it was a, a, a hook and ladder. Like a, yeah, like a <laughs> oop drawn up hook and ladder, catches the deflection, and then runs it in for a touchdown. Like that's exactly how it was supposed to happen. Um, when you see when you see those two Jakeen Grant touchdowns, like, well, I guess you just were kind of meant to win that game, right? Those were, <laughs> right. Like, you. For one team or not, we're we're meant to beat these guys. You ran a hidden ball trick in college football, basically. You like you hid your smallest guy behind your offensive line. Um, but yeah, so I I I would put this Texas win up there as one of the best wins the past decade. You win in Austin for the first time in like you said almost twenty years. Cliff Kingsbury saves his job, gets extended one more year, even though we we hear Hokut in the. Post game say, oh, no, this game didn't matter. No, no, it was always, it was never a part of that. I don't know. I still don't know if I, how much I believe all that. You win this game, get to seven and five. They get demolished uh, by LSU. By L- no, sorry. The, the, this was not the Texas win that saved Kingsbury's job. It was in 2017. You're right. You're right. When they were five and six, and they, if, if they had lost that game, it would have been five and seven. I, sorry. This one set you up seven five, got you the Houston uh, the the birth and the Houston Bowl versus the LSU Tigers, where Leonard Fournette just had his way with you. Yeah, pretty much. Thanks. And that's how that went. Mike's life. <laughs> All right. All right. You, you're number one. My number one. My number one win in the last ten seasons was in 2011 against 
little old school up in Oklahoma by the name of OU. Headed up to Norman. Somehow. Some way. Some way. Beat number three Sooners 41 to 38. And a lot happened during this game. Just kind of some overall things that happened. This broke OU's 39-game home winning streak. Uh, it's just unbelievable. They had 39 games in a row. And this was only Stoops' third loss in 78 home games. So he had been 75-2. and two. Up until that day. Until that day. Uh, it was only the second win in Norman, period. Dykes won there in 96. And it was the sixth win against OU overall. So, you know, that Tech came in 5-13 and 13 against OU. And left with another one, <laughs> another W. But it's it's a really bizarre game. It's a weird day. I proposed to my wife this day, partially <laughs> because I thought Tech had no chance to win this game. <laughs> and I was going to completely forfeit being able to watch it. Had, you know, just thought, well, I'll see how it turns out. I'm going to I'm going to make a life decision here, and I'm going to be better for it and just completely ignore the game. She said yes, by the way. Congrats. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> uh, we're still working out the date. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, we've. Uh, what, was, what was great was after that evening, I just turned the TV on, and the game is on. Because it had been delayed Because so it long. had been delayed so long, and I, had no, I thought, oh, well, what a great day. <laughs> I still get to watch the game. And because of the rain delay and the lightning and all that, and they had PB&J and everything halftime. But uh, so OU entered the game. They were six and zero. They had a big win against Texas, which was ranked number eleven at the time, fifty five to seventeen. Just just trounced them in the Red River shootout rivalry, and then they also beat number five Florida State in Tallahassee that year, twenty three to thirteen. I remember that, them going out there for that. Yeah, and so I mean they they're the formidable team there coming in six and zero, and and then Tech started out four and zero. But then lost two close ones at home to number 24 A&M, uh, 40 to 45. And then they lost the following week at home, I believe. No, I just said that, at home. 34 to 41. So they lost two games, less than a touchdown each. And just kind of that, you know, it's Tuberville's first year. You're you're trying to figure out how this is going to work, what's going to happen. And is this team going to turn the corner? Can they do better than this? And then they go into Norman and they win – Forty-one to thirty-eight. They can't stop Alex Torres for whatever reason. Yeah, they, they, they scored two touchdowns on like the exact same play. Yeah, it was a wide receiver screen that like OU was complaining like they had illegal blocks or I don't know what they were complaining about. Yeah, uh, Daggy threw for four hundred and forty-one yards. Uh, yeah. Austin Zuzalik threw for a touchdown. Well, it actually wasn't a touchdown, but it was. Uh, he did. He did complete it. Uh, Landry Jones had just kind of an okay day. Our defense was able to to. Uh, limit him a little bit. He was 30 for 55. He had five TDs. <laughs> That's just an okay day for Landry Jones, but one interception. Yeah, so I, I remember that interception. He threw the ball, like, I think it was to Kenny Stills. It was a little behind him. And then Trey Porter basically took the ball from Stills. Oh, man. Well, and, and Tech went in, you know, they went into halftime. They were up 24 to 7. They had Oklahoma had skunked the, the second quarter. They, you know, they scored one touchdown in the first, did not score in the second. And so they kind of had to start 
they were a passing team anyway, but they only had 25 rushing carries for the whole day, mm. uh, where they had 55 passing attempts. But Tech just somehow hung into it the entire time. There were, let me see, I think 12 receivers caught a pass, including Seth Dagey. <laughs> uh, let's see, Alex Torres, yeah, four for 94 yards. Eric Ward, six for 78 yards. Torres had three TDs. Tremaine Swindoll had one. So that Tremaine Swindle touchdown was the one that, like, Dagey threw to the back of the end zone, and Swindle somehow, like, he caught the ball up over his head. His foot was like an inch from the back of the end zone. They zoomed in on the replay. He's like, no, he's in, he's in bounds. That's a touchdown. Yeah. That was actually a play in our favor. That, there was stuff. It was kind of like you mentioned when the ball pup popped out and just landed in Jakeem Grant's hands in Austin. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of meant to be. So yeah, this so this made, I mean, this this was a huge impact on me just because uh, where I was that evening, I happened to be close to campus and I could hear the victory bells ringing out after that. And it was it was probably at that time the, the closest I ever got to the, you know, 08 Texas feeling because this just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 08 Texas thing, you know, you went into it really thinking you you thought you more than had a chance, but you were still nervous. But this one, it just, you just turn it, I just turn on the TV. The game, it's in the first quarter inexplicably at 10 p.m. or whatever it was. <laughs> and I got to watch it and just thoroughly enjoyed getting this entire experience and just thinking, man, okay, now we're, we're five and two now. We've, we've gotten that monkey off our back in Norman. You know, things are going to go pretty well. I think we're we're turning the corner. Maybe this Tuberville guy, maybe he's maybe he knows what he's doing, and and uh, we can we can trust what he's got up up his sleeve. And then we went zero and five to end the year. But it, it felt <laughs> really away. good at that what time. <laughs> so, for some reason, I had it in my mind. I I wanted to to edit hi- highlight videos at this time. If you do a Google search, Google video search for highlights from this game, my video is the number one. Result. Oh, the one that you put together? Mm-hmm. October 31st, 2011, Texas Tech versus Oklahoma 2011, uploaded by Spencer Rogers. It's 11 minutes and 33 seconds long. It's kind of a lengthy highlight video, but it was a fun game to <laughs> There were a together. lot of highlights for us. And it, it, was, it was not one of those ones where you just see one play from one angle that you get like the three or four minute highlight videos for. This was replayed a couple times from different angles. Um, and it wasn't just scoring plays, so... Well, I'll be dead gum. If you want to go watch that video, it's, like I said, 11 and a half minutes long, um, it's there for you to watch. So those are our top six best wins of the past decade. Tell us where we were wrong, where you agree with us. We'd love to hear from you guys. What have been your top best wins? Um, yeah. Starting in 09. 09, the past decade. Um, since we are getting ready to uh, to start game prep, I mean, we do our game preview. We start next week, man. Yeah, we've got to we've got to know about Michigan State next week. I've oh. actually subscribed to some podcasts. Um, I said Michigan State, Montana State. Oh my gosh, the Bobcats! What a what a great slip there. Speaking of, if if you don't have your tickets yet, Texas Tech is literally giving these things away. Quite. And I don't Quite think factually. I don't think they're having any takers either. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of empty seats 
on August 31st. So Texas Tech is selling these tickets today for $5, and they're throwing in a customized phone background for you. I, I can't wait to I, I tweet wanna... from the press box about how the lack you... of attendance. And how and how just appalled and ashamed. You should. Why why can't why can't we fill the stadium? I'm just I can't imagine why anybody would not want to be out here at three twenty in August when we've had more triple digit weather days this month than we have the entire summer. Okay. We had one question. Did you pull it up? Are these really the questions that I was called here to answer? Who's in the box? Uh, what's in the box? I'm Ron Burgundy? Damn it! Who typed a question mark on the teleprompter? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, as, as we mentioned, it's time for questions. I think we had the one response... And it came from Cooper Burnett. Always reliable. Thanks, yep. Cooper. He said he sent his list in on the honorable mention pod. Wanted to reiterate this, though. Every win over TCU. That's a good feeling. They've all been really good. You had the 56-53. You had the 20-10. to 10. Uh, You had last year's 21-17? 21-10? That seems right. Those have all been... Really fun games. The other one's not so fun. The 21 to 6, 82 27. Yeah. The other 52 55 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, which leads back to Cooper's tweet, which leads me into my question Do you think of TCU as a number one mutual rival across the board, all sports considered? Good question. Because I think you are most evenly matched across the sports with TCU than you are with any other team. I would put Oklahoma State up there. I, I think those are my two candidates for this. Yes. They're down on basketball this year, but I mean, we played them in a baseball super regional. Mm-hmm. And their basketball team is it's just a matter of time before they're coming back they're coming back yeah you just kind of know it you can tell uh i would put them on there too just because of you know all the hand sign stuff and everything but tcu that i think is up there competition wise it's been a lot more even with tcu especially in football <laughs> in terms of n- numbers of wins losses not, not so much on results like 82 27 kind of skews football yeah yeah, um, yeah. but like you were series record versus them since I joined the big 12 and baseball, football, basketball probably skews more towards your way than any of the rest of the sports. Um, I would say much more even than, than if we looked at Oklahoma state, which has historically been much better at you than football. At least least recently. Yeah. The Um, last 10 years for sure. Yeah. You're one in nine, the past 10 years (laughs) versus Oklahoma state basketball. Um, with the exception of the past couple of years, Oklahoma State's had your number that they've always had a really talented team. Um, baseball has been really good. So I, I, I would say it, it's, it's a lot of fun to get like amped up for Oklahoma State. But like if you look at the record, it's been a lot closer with TCU. And I, I think Cooper saying mutual arrival, I think that puts it more in TCU's favor. Yeah, because I, I don't think Oklahoma State would consider us a, a rival 
as much. I mean, they, they probably don't like us, just like a, probably several people don't, but I'm sure they're more focused on trying to beat OU, whereas TCU may not be quite as focused on trying to beat Texas. They, they may not. or But they may consider Baylor. Yeah, I was about to say though. Baylor. Baylor could be who they consider, but they sure don't seem to like us that much. That's okay. Uh, when we play each other, and that that's that's a good point. So, I would say I would say he's right. I mean, even after talking through and trying to convince myself about Oklahoma State, I think TCU may be the number one mutual rival yeah. across the board. I think we're the most evenly matched in most of the uh, most of the events that we compete upon in <laughs> around. All right, everybody's favorite segment: going yard. I don't have any music for this. I'm so sorry. Um, I should wor- I should work something up for going yard, and not, then and then play it for you. Uh, that'd be nice. Okay. Not really a, a an update, but it's getting time for us folks that have cool season grass to be looking ahead towards uh, aerating and overseeding for the fall. I've already got my date picked out. It's gonna be the weekend that Tech has a, a bye week, so end of September. <laughs> yeah. Like, or a week before, whenever it is. Um. I think I think I'm going to try something a little different and add in some Kentucky bluegrass this year, which is another cool season grass. It's not as well um, built to handle heat and drought like uh, fescue is. But I think because I'm fairly successful with the fescue, the fescue may be able may help me to kind of shade and bring along the bluegrass. Why I want to bring the bluegrass one, it's going to be a little bit darker than fescue. So help with a darker color and bluegrass also is naturally spreading grass. So it'll, it'll fill in holes. It'll continue to, to fill in like a Bermuda does. Um, maybe I don't, I don't really, I'm not really hoping on this, but maybe it'll help keep out some of the Bermuda on the side. If I've also got like another spreading grass competing with it. Oh, that's true. That's true. Although a instead mix, of just dominating or taking over, yeah. Except a mix of fescue, Bermuda, and Kentucky bluegrass may just be trash. <laughs> Side yards. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Um, I want to get to what we learned. What did we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I still have. I don't. I don't know what movie that's from i i mean i i remember doing it i just don't burn I, after reading i think burn after wasn't that what we yeah i haven't watched it yet though gosh i watched it when it came out i haven't watched it since i don't think <laughs> so what do we learn i i hosted uh my son's birthday party here at the house michael can probably still see the deck what, what some of the decorations up um i decided i i got the itch to smoke something i was like you know what we'll, we'll have everybody over the party we'll do dinner so i smoked a brisket Went back, checked my notes. Everything I had smoked up until this this brisket had taken one hour per pound. It's like that's a pretty easy thing to to yeah to kind of schedule out. Do some math on that. I was like, because we're expecting like nearly twenty people, I'm gonna get a bigger brisket. So I, I went to Red Rider Meats. I got a prime aged brisket. Spent four dollars a pound on this bad boy. I'm a little disappointed about that. I it was good, but it was. I don't know if I would. Don't know if it's four dollars good. Know the difference between a two eighty nine and a three ninety nine <laughs> <Right>. brisket, <laughs> and it may just because I'm just not very well versed in good brisket. Um, 
got a 17 pound brisket. So it's biggest one that I've ever, any biggest cut of meat I've ever smoked. I was anticipating it to take along that same line, 17 hours. So I got it ready. I put on the smoker Friday night at 10:30. How often did you check it after you put it on? So I was checking every hour for the first four or five hours until one time I, I guess forgot to reset the alarm. Oh, okay. And just fell asleep and didn't get back up the rest well, of the night. Well, that makes sense. It was um, very late by that point. It was 3.30 yeah. in the morning. Um, I popped awake at like 7.30. I was like, oh, crap. And I ran out there. I was like, okay, well, it's not trash. It was it was, it was was getting dark as it as it you know would have been smoking it. Yeah. Eight hours at that point. So I pulled it off, wrapped it, and put it back on. Um, I wrapped it. It was it was already at 170 degrees. I was like, okay. It's, it's, that's a little warm to wrap but at the top end of the stall. Yeah. But that's great. But I also like, I was, I was expecting to go like another 10 hours. Like I don't want 10 more hours of smoke on the exterior. That, like there's going to be, this brisket is going to be blackened no, if I, I don't wrap it. That was, I think that was perfect. Um, I set my, my, my temperature gauge to alarm at two Oh five, three hours later that alarm's going off. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh my gosh. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> The party's at five. So not even 12 hours. It took 12 hours for a 17 pound brisket to go. Could it have out of the fridge onto the smoker and get to two Oh five. Does the weather have anything? Is it, I wonder if the aging would the dry aging have anything to do with it? I don't know. It, it, it cooked a lot faster. And Oh my gosh. What did you, did you just put it in the cooler till? So <laughs> I, six I, hours? I had, I had, st- when I got up and did that, when I wrapped the brisket, I was like, I'm already awake. Um, I was going to make potato salad for this as well. So I, I, um, baked some potatoes. I had already pulled them out. Oven was still, like, it was off. It's still warm. So I just put it wrapped in the oven. Um, and basically just held it in the oven for eight hours. <laughs> and then I decided like a three, three o'clock, three thirty in the afternoon. I was like, you know what? I want to do burn ends. Which I should have done this before I cooked the brisket, you know, separated the point in the flat. So I cut the, I cut the point off, um, and then cubed it up and put it in a little bit of barbecue sauce and something else and put it back on the smoker covered for another 30 or 45 minutes. I can't remember. That was fantastic. The problem with me doing it backwards this way, while it was easier to separate cause I could just basically pick up on the point and just like run a knife through it and cut it off. Yeah. Um, two thirds of the flat, what, what, what I ended up slicing, didn't have any bark on the top. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was just just the meat. Yeah. Um, so for some reason, I don't know what I did differently. The brisket did not take one hour per pound. Who knows? It's such a baffling thing. Because here's the thing: like, you have to work backwards as, if you're if you're doing brisket for a party. It's like, oh, I know it needs to rest at least an hour. So it's like, party starts at five. I need it off the smoker by four. And then you want, well, I'm, I may need a buffer hour in there. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so if it has to come off, uh, I'm thinking between three and four, I shoot for four at the latest. So that means I'll, I'll have to put the brisket on later and I count back 17 hours. It's 11 o'clock. And so you put it on like 1030. 1030. Yeah. Like, okay. A little buffer half hour. If it runs 17 hours, it'll come off between three thirty and four. It ran 12 <laughs> and I pulled off before lunch. So if you guys are experienced smokers and you can tell me why a big 
big A brisket cooks just as fast as the smaller one. Love to hear. I wonder if it was just, I'm sure it was hot that day, but shoot, your brisket was done before it, it even was, got it was, hot. It was on the, yeah, like it cooked overnight. Yeah. It was on the patio in the shade because, well, no, I guess in the morning the sun comes in on the back, but like it was off by 10. So it was it was in sunlight for three hours, the smoker was. So 225, 250? 275. 270, okay, okay. Still, that is awfully fast. And you probed a couple of places, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. So when you make burn-ins, you remove the whole point and make them? You can. You can. I still got some if you want to try it. Yeah, I might. Yeah, we might need to wrap <laughs> this up. Um, I learned one thing. Okay. A, a couple of weeks ago, after we recorded the previous episode, I think, or I never mentioned it. It was before preseason football, before everything. I just threw it out on the Twitter sphere. Who is going to win more football games this season? Your Red Raiders or the Arizona Cardinals? Give me Texas Tech. You are a part of the overwhelming majority. In fewer games, I think I think Texas Tech is going to win a handful more games in Arizona. At the time, I wasn't so sure. <laughs> but after seeing... Uh, the preseason? Yeah, seeing how game two went. Uh, <laughs> a lot of three and outs and... And I think defense. a safety. I think there was a safety. Uh, the defense just, looked like hot, hot garbage. Yeah, it, it just did not go well. So uh, that was what I learned was that seventy-eight percent of you guys think that Tech is going to win more, <laughs> more football games this season than Arizona. And I thought y'all were crazy at the time, but who knows? We'll just have to see how this plays out. I'll try to report on it in a few months' time, and we'll have a definitive answer. Yeah, for sure. Um, something we haven't gotten to, I, I've got it pulled up the Dave Campbell's Texas football has come out this year for this yep. season. I, I've read the preview. I don't want to give it away because, um, the one, the writers put a lot of time and effort into each school's preview. I can't pronounce his name, but he used to write for TCU at the Fort Worth Star Telegram. Sean Jaharan. I'm, I'm sorry, dude. Oh, she, Sheehan. Yeah. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, he's great. He's a she, great follower. I, I I don't think it's Sheehan, but it's spelled. It may S, not be. S-H-E-H-A-N. Man. I think it may be Sean. I, I'm not sure. Anyways, he did the, the Texas Tech preview. It's great. Um, it's a good picture of Matt Wells in a headset. Oh, it's a solid picture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if it's Scowling. pronounced Sean, it's it's just like you said, Sean Jayaraja. And uh, I'm just going to spell it out for you guys because he's a great follow. Y'all should follow him. So he he's is. at S-H-E-H-A-N-J-E-Y-A-R-A-J-A-H. Great follow. Good write-up. He, he did a great write-up. So um, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more without giving away his work because this is a paid publication. Next week, when we start our... Our game one preview. Um, for Michael, I want to thank you guys for joining us. Another episode of the 23 Personal Podcast. Um, we won't be going this long again for a while since we'll be breaking up into two episodes a week. Um, don't forget to catch us on the pregame countdown to kickoff on Talk 1340. The fan, three hours before kickoff for two hours um, preview next week, post game, instant reactions, all that kind of stuff for Michael. I'm Spencer. We will see you next week.